Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. just a second. Uh, <laughs> that was great. Um, I needed that. I'm struggling a little bit this morning. I'll tell you, Pastor, he told you the title a couple weeks ago, and he sent me the lesson, and, and the lesson is when a gift becomes a curse. And to be honest with you, when I, I first opened up the attachment and read that title, I was like, wow. I was thinking, like, that sounds like a sermon title. I'm going to get to preach. And uh, then I started reading and studying, and my thoughts kind of changed. Um, well, hmm, how do I, um, and I got, and so I've struggled a little bit, um, and you'll, you'll find out why. But um, I ask you to stand because I'm going to need some prayer, and I hope that I am with some people that can stand with me and pray for me and pray with me this morning. Um, because I'm not going to be able to teach this without the God spirit. I can tell you that. Um, but I love you and I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. And um, if you will, join me in prayer. Can we pray? Lord, I love you today. I thank you, God, for the opportunity, Jesus. Lord, to be in your presence, God. Lord, I talk to you. starting to feel good in here. Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Thank you so, so much. James 1 and 17 says, every good and every perfect gift comes from above. Sometimes I think we forget that and we fail sometimes to appreciate that. But I'm so thankful that sometimes God didn't give me what I deserved. And at times when maybe I deserved judgment, he gave me mercy. In times when I maybe deserved some kind of punishment, he reached out in love. And I'm thankful that not all the time he gives me more than what I ever deserved. I'm going to take a text today from, the chap- from Luke chapter 12. Remember, the title is When a Gift Becomes a Curse. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 16 and read through verse 20. And verse 16 says, He spake, and talking about Jesus, a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. 
So he just had this terrible problem, you know. He just didn't have enough room. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. So he didn't really have, it wasn't like a poor pitiful me. He actually had too much, more than what he needed. Okay. And in verse 19, then he continues and he said, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease and eat, drink, and be merry. And verse 20 says, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Verse 20 in another translation says, Then who will get all that you prepared for yourself? Okay. Um, last week we learned, I know Brother um, Rayleigh um, taught the lesson in here last week, and I was um, able to, to teach the message in the, in the back to the teenagers, but we learned that our gifts are given for a purpose. Our gifts are given to us for a purpose. And the purpose is to use them for God's glory, for his good, and then also to support one another. And that's exactly what the rich fool certainly didn't use his gifts for. He didn't use them as God intended. And so how that works with a gift becoming a curse is when we don't appreciate that our gifts come from God, we tend to use them in selfish ways. Okay, and that's when they become a curse. And that's when it became a curse for the, for the rich fool. Now, Jesus shared this parable because a man and his brother were actually fighting over an inheritance left by their father. And one of the brothers came to Jesus and, and he said, can't you just force my brother to share that inheritance? And so rather than just arbitrate this financial family squabble, which unfortunately happens quite a bit, even in today's world, um, Jesus put his finger, like as only Jesus could, on the real issue. And he said, there's a heart problem here. And the problem isn't this inheritance. It's not the money. The problem is with your hearts. And he said, he used this parable of the rich fool to explain to the brother that covetousness and greed were the real problem. That was the root of the problem. Okay, so I want to talk just a, for a few minutes about greed. So now you know why it's a little bit uncomfortable or why this is, is a little bit difficult. Um, it would be a whole lot easier to be teaching a bunch of teenagers about greed um, than a bunch of people that work for everything that they have. So I'm not talking to anybody in here. Nobody in here, I'm sure, is greedy. Um, but it's still important to really understand because even if we're not greedy, we probably know somebody who is, <laughs> um, I, I can probably guarantee that greed is the desire to gather and hold on to wealth by any means. It's the desire to acquire or possess more normally material wealth, more than what anybody needs, more than what anybody deserves. And covetousness is a form of greed and it's wishing for things that belong to someone else. So it's not just, man, I, I, I want that car. It's, that's my neighbor's car, and I wish I was the owner of that car. And, you know, by the way, their house is nicer too, so I wish I... You know what? I just want my neighbor's stuff, okay? So we know that God talked about that in the, in the Old Testament. It was condemned back then. It was one of the Ten Commandments. Um, and if we go into the book of Colossians, so we go all the way to the New Testament, Paul calls it idolatry. He calls it idolatry because when you desire something so much, 
you lose your contentment in God. And when your greed is your motivation, your contentment in God decreases. I just focus on more. I focus on more. So where's God in any of that? He decreases. So greed leaves our heart divided between two gods. And we know that we can't serve two gods. So Paul calls it idolatry. Greed and covetousness are really, really prevalent in today's society. If you haven't noticed, I can tell you that each morning if I check my inbox to my email, I have to delete at least 10 emails that are wanting me to buy something from this store, from this store, from this and from here. I can't. I don't even read them. I just delete, 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 unsubscribe if I can. But it's you're inundated, like just bombarded with it. And every day we are bombarded with advertisements and peer pressure and the desire for social status and the desire for success. And old Will Rogers described it as making people want what they don't need and paying for it with money they don't have. Okay, it's like, it's like buying a perfect poly parrot motion detector that chirps every time you walk in the room for three easy payments of ninety nine ninety seven. But if you call in 20 minutes, they'll knock one of those payments off. <laughs> that's what the world does. The world says, all I want is a little bit more than what I'll ever have. The world says, to be happy, I need more. And it says, he who has the most toys wins. But Jesus told the brother in Luke 12 and 15, the same chapter. So right before he told that parable, he told the brother, beware. He said, guard against every kind of greed because life is not measured by how much you own. It's not measured by your possession. So once again, Jesus challenges the world's outlook and the world's ideas. And so then we're challenged to make the decision, which values do we live by? Do we live by he who has the most toys wins or do we live by my life is not going to be measured by how much I own? Okay. Greed. Greed is the downfall of many good men and women. I'm reminded in um, the book of Joshua, we read about the story of Achan. And, you know, I, I can remember that when I was really little because I just didn't understand why he did what he did. And I thought, you know, here's this man who's a warrior for Israel. And he was there when they marched around those walls, Achan was right there. And when those walls fell, Achan was a witness to that. And then instead of rejoicing in the gift of victory, he got greedy and he took a wedge of gold, he took some silver coins and he took a fancy Babylonian garment. And then I just didn't understand, like, why would he do that? Because it led to his fall, it led to his destruction. And then not only his destruction, but his whole family had to pay for his sin. And then the second king, as we read another unfortunate story, Gehazi, he was chosen to be the servant. And probably the likely successor to Elisha, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. I mean, that, to me, it's, um, that's an amazing place to be. You are the servant to one of the greatest prophets. And one day, Naaman, a Syrian general, he came to Elisha. And he asked him, I, I want to be healed of leprosy. So Elisha directed him and said, you need to go to the Jordan, you need to dip. We remember that story. And he eventually did. He went and he dipped and he was healed. He was healed of leprosy. So he came back to Elisha and he said, Elisha, I want to give you this large monetary gift. Thank you so much. And Elisha said, no, 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 I won't take it. And he refused the gift. So as Naaman rode away, Gehazi was like, oh, well, if Elisha don't want it, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so... 
his greed got to him. And, and so he chased down Naaman and he said, he lied. Well, Elisha really does want some, so I can go, you know, take it to him. And so he lied and he took this reward and he hid it. And you think, Gehazi, you, who is, who are you a servant to? You are a servant to a prophet of the most high God, both of whom know what you just did. And then in 2 Kings 5 and 27, it says, Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. Forever. And Naaman's leprosy got transferred to Gehazi and his descendants. And so there's consequences for greed. As we see in those two examples, greed didn't just cost that person. It cost their families in Proverbs 15 and 27, it says a greedy man brings trouble to his family. And that's, we have to think about stuff like that sometimes, I think. The consequences are greed. They're greater, I think, than any possession that we could ever want. The consequences may be difficult to see by those who are only focused and motivated by those monetary gains. If that's what you're, you're going to be hard to see that consequence. I don't know that Gehazi saw that he was going to get leprosy whenever he went and chased Naaman to get the money. Okay? Because he wasn't focused on the right things. Greed focuses all the things that could make your life better or happier, so you think. It's the latest smartphone which actually one of the emails I got this morning was a new Apple phone. It's coming. (laughs) But that's what greed wants you to focus on. Maybe it's the new fancy car, the bigger TV, just more stuff, more of what you already have. I've read several articles in preparing for this um, and different studies that have gone out that shows that the more people that love money, the more money they actually lose. It was really, really interesting to read. They, people that love money, they love the gratification. So they don't make wise choices with the money. So people that love money, they tend to lose it more. So instead of maybe investing it or having plans, they end up making poor investments and poor choices with it. So greed actually works against them. And the more that they love money, the less it appears to love them. Because greed doesn't love you. Greed doesn't have a way to love. Greed's never satisfied. In Ecclesiastes 5.11, it says, He who loves money won't be satisfied with money. And there, you know, there's a warning in that. There's a warning because if it's not satisfied, then it's going to go to the next extreme. And so 1 Timothy 6 and 9 says, Those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation. It just doesn't end in greed. It tempts you to do further and more things. And that's why we read so many times that it leads people to do strange things. Yeah. You ever read that? Stories of, why? Like Aiken, why did he do that? You know, it, it leads people to do strange things. It, it leads people to commit crimes and sins. It just doesn't, it's not satisfied. Many people have lost their homes and their jobs and their families, their reputation, self-respect. I can tell you working in... Um, and banking for almost 20 years, I've seen greed at work quite a bit. And I could tell you personal stories of things that are just almost heartbreaking to see what people have lost for something so not even worth it. Not even worth it. I can, I can tell you one of the saddest stories of somebody came in my office and, and 
When I tell you someone needed help, this lady needed help. And I'll tell you, no one left my office without help. If I couldn't help them in the way they wanted, they were going to leave with something. <laughs> so this lady came in and, and she needed help. She couldn't pay her bills anymore. She had too much debt. Can you help? Just put it all together. Well, it wasn't that easy. It wasn't that easy. She had no equity in her home. She, that was already maxed out. She had no retirement. She already loaned all against that. And she had over $125,000 in unsecured money. And when I saw that figure, my heart just sank like, I can't help her. And so I started asking her, what do you do? I'm a financial advisor. It happens. It happens. And, um, but many people, they lose things. They lose their jobs. They lose their homes, their reputation, self-respect, and even their souls because of greed. And Jesus said in that same chapter in Luke chapter 12, 21, he said, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And then obviously Matthew 16 and 26 says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Oh, goodness. So that's what we see. You know what gets me about this rich fool is that he actually thought about his soul. He talked to his soul. He said, soul. He talked to it. And I'm going to go into the second part. So that's all we're going to talk about greed for a second. We're going to move on to something even more uncomfortable. But um, the second part of, of his error, when he talked to his soul, so he realizes he has a soul. He's just not very concerned about it. He's concerned about his barns. But he says, soul, he said, let's take ease, let's eat, drink, and be merry. Or, in other words, he said, my plan is just to chill out and be lazy now. Okay, so I'm not here to really talk against any type of genuine physical ailment. Um, I'm not going to talk against retirement. I'm looking forward to that day myself. I'm not here to talk against some good old-fashioned R&R. It's much needed. I believe in it. Daniel slept in a lion's den. Peter slept in a prison. Jesus slept in a storm. So no matter the circumstance, you can take a nap. Man. I'm not talking about that kind of rest. I'm not talking about rest. I'm talking about laziness. And what I'm saying is that even like we have to be aware of greed, we have to be aware of becoming lazy with our gifts. Because sometimes there's a tug of war between greed and laziness, and it takes the wisdom of God to find the balance. I asked my kids this week which one they thought was worse, greed or laziness. And all of them said greed. Now, I don't agree or disagree with that statement. I just kind of found it humorous that the context of this now is that I had worked all day, that I had come home and cooked for them, that I had cleaned up their mess, and now I was going around the house picking up after them while they were just chilling out. They weren't really doing much of anything. Greed is the worst. Okay. I can't disagree, but okay. But, you know, you, you will find it hard for a lazy person to say they're lazy. Or even a greedy person to think they're greedy. And I don't want to lose anybody here, but Proverbs 22 and 13 says, The lazy man says, 
There is a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. Now, what are the odds that there is a lion prowling outside so that you need to stay home in bed? It's very unlikely. It's not like where we live, there really could be an alligator outside your house or a snake. But a lion is not going to be very likely really anywhere where people live in the world. So the point of the scripture is that laziness can lead to making excuses for why you can't do something. Have you ever heard a crazy excuse? Anybody ever? (laughs) I heard one this week. Pastor, you might appreciate it because I'm not coming to church because I hear people preach on Facebook all week. <laughs> Excuses, right? You're working in management, working in banking, and work and being a mom. I've 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 heard several excuses, and um, I I've really been blessed with pretty good employees. So I'll share an, another manager's story. But we, I have a, a manager friend who, who manages another office, and she has an employee, well, had an employee, that had something like attendance and tardy issues. And, and so one day, one morning, she gets the call from the employee. She already knew she probably wasn't going to come in. But it was what she said. And she said, I'm not going to be able to make it. You're not going to believe this, but I am stuck on Interstate 75 right now. There's this huge watermelon trunk that has overturned. There are watermelons all over my car, all over the street. I am outside really trying to help clean up right now. There's just no possible way I'm going to get in. And so she was like, well, you know, if you're not coming, there's not much you can do. If they're not coming, they're not coming. So, you know, the funny thing is, is that we did find out that really there was an overturned watermelon truck that caused the mess on 75 was just the day before. (laughs) True. (laughs) Proverbs 21 and 25 it says, the desire of a lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. I had a couple come into my office one day, and they wanted to buy a really nice jet ski. And I'm telling you, they had this beautiful colored brochure. And this brochure, man, you know, it had the sunniest days, the clearest blue water, and the shiniest jet ski with the best-looking couple on it, with the widest smile. Man. That looks like a, a great thing. And they had all the paperwork from the dealer that they needed to, to obtain a loan. And it was nice. I mean, the price tag on this jet ski was the equivalent to what a, you could buy a boat for. It was that nice. So I was taking their loan app, and one of the questions, a common question is, where do you work? You know, who do you work for? And so I was a bit surprised when they answered, oh, I don't have a job. So, not trying to look really surprised, I thought I, I felt like, okay, this is a learning thing, I can te- a teaching moment. So, I said, okay, well, when you get a loan, you have to have what we call the capacity to repay, meaning to make this $400 payment, you have to be, you have to have $400 to make it. And you, I mean, he looked so bummed, like, oh. And he's like, well, I guess I can go get one. Like he was going to walk out of my office and find them handing them out outside. I was like, oh. But see, that they saw the brochure. They weren't thinking about the payments. 
Because laziness doesn't think about payments, they just think about the product. So someone who wants material wealth, but they're not willing to work for it, that's a bad combination. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor preached about the dignity of work. And he was telling us that work's not a curse. It's not your enemy. But the spirit of laziness is an enemy of your future. And it will, like the scripture says, eventually lead to death, including spiritual death. So please don't be lazy with your gifts. Don't assume that because we do have gifts that God's given us and he's blessed us with things that we don't have to work because there's nothing farther from the truth. We have to develop the gifts that God has given us. I think of it sometimes like uh, my two oldest kids like Lego, Zach especially. And um, I, me and Bobby don't care for Legos because if you ever stepped on them at night, it hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. So Legos, they cost a pretty picture. You get, you get a box about like this, and it's at least $40. And you see it, though, and it looks so cool, man. You get this cool airplane or this cool dinosaur, and the things move, and it's like, wow, well, that's pretty cool that's inside that box. But when you open up the box, that's not what's inside there. What's inside there is a bag full of little pieces of plastic, okay? Everything you need is in the box, but you still have to put it together. And that's how God's gifts are, is that he gives us everything we need, but we have to work to put it together, okay? So clearly, God does not want us to be greedy and only use our talents and our blessings for our own good and our own gain. And just as surely he does not want us to waste our talents by becoming lazy. Either of these things can make our gifts become a curse in our lives. And so I don't ever want to leave speaking or teaching without Telling, okay, so now what do we do? What do we do? So what if I am greedy? What if I am lazy? What do I do to reverse this curse? How do I use my gift? So that's where I want to take this the last couple of of minutes is with laziness, I think it's important to go back to what Brother Boyd said. We need a godly perspective about work. We need that and we need to grow that gift and we have to grow it with diligence and with excellence. Proverbs 22 and 29 says, Do you see a man who excels in his work? Anybody ever had somebody at work and, man, they were good, they were impressive? I, I have. I've been very, very fortunate, and that's who my mentors were going to be. That's who I wanted to work like, was the best of the best. I wanted them to teach me that same excellence. So I can think of people like that when I read that verse. It says, do you know a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Excellence doesn't mean perfection. Okay? It means I'm giving my best to God. That's what excellence is. It's I'm committed to giving him my best. That's what excellence is. And, and excellence only comes through diligence. You can't, there is no substitute. Excellence is not given because of your looks or because of your pedigree or your possessions. That's, that's not going to work like that. It's diligence, sticking to it, giving your best every time, being committed to excellence. And it's that kind of excellence that that scripture says it leads to recognition. And not only by earthly kings, but by our king of kings. 
I believe that. I believe he recognizes when we come into this church and we give him an excellent sacrifice of worship, I think he, I think he recognizes that. I think he recognizes our excellence. And then greed. How do we reverse greed? Well, to combat greed, we have to learn to be content. And that is the opposite of greed is contentment. Accumulation, I can tell you, is not your greatest gift. It's not your greatest achievement. But contentment is. Contentment is not a disposition that we're born with. I can, I can tell you that um, my first child, me and Bobby and I had been married five years, and we were still pretty young, and, and then we had Riley, and man, you talk about the best baby that ever was. I wish you guys could have seen her and been around her and know her. She was the most perfect infant ever. You talk about contentment. We thought we had it made. We, man, this is easy. That child didn't cry. She didn't. She'd go, when you laid her down, she went to sleep. You picked her up, you changed her, she was fine. If you didn't, she was fine. If you fed her, she was fine. If you didn't feed her, she was fine. Just as content as could be. It was amazing. And so whenever I found out that we were expecting a second, I was like, oh, I get to share these precious moments all over again. I was so excited. <laughs> You're laughing because you know it's Zach. <laughs> And if I could tell you, Zach was the most uncontented baby there ever was, cried every chance. If he was awake, he was probably crying. And um, so we got a dose of both. So we can tell you by experience that contentment is not a dispensation that you're born with. <laughs> okay? It's not. Because, and I can tell you, here we are 14 years later, and having a 14-year-old girl is not content with everything that you have to give her. <laughs> But my 11-year-old boy is, is happy just with a stick in his hand to play with. He doesn't need. So, you know, things do change. You do learn commitment. Or, I'm sorry, contentment. So it's not something that we're born with, but it's a decision that we have to make. And it's based upon the attitude of our heart. And I believe that we learn the most about contentment from Paul. And if you, if you know about Paul, he was prisoned quite a bit. In the book of Philippians, he, he wrote that book and three other books while he was in prison. He had been in prison under false charges for two years. And you would think that maybe at this time, Paul was writing about justice. And at this time, after serving these two years unfairly, that maybe he was trying to maybe write about advocating for his rights. Or maybe he was asking for help. Look, I just can't take it no more. I need help. But he doesn't. He actually does quite the opposite. He thanks the Philippian church for sending him a gift. But in thanking them, he actually basically says, well, I was okay without it. So he says, thank you. It was nice, but I didn't need it. I would need it. <laughs> I would need it. But the reason why he didn't need it, because he tells us that he learned to be content. It's something that we can learn. So he said in Philippians 4 and 12, it says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. He said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in or in plenty or in want. 
He learned to live, and this is the secret, he learned to live in contentment in dual seasons. So whether he had plenty of of one thing and he didn't have, and he had wanted another, he learned to live in content in dual seasons. And I'm telling you, if we are going to learn to live in contentment, we have to learn to to discern those seasons. And I believe that if Paul can learn to be content with nothing but chains and shackles, that they, we can learn to be content with everything that God's blessed us with today. And the secret of contentment is this. It comes from having the right priority, which is godliness, not gain. Right priority is godliness, not gain. And the right perspective, the eternal, not the temporal. Because greed and laziness is all about me, what can I get? What's in it for me right now in the temporary? That's why we make bad choices with our money. But contentment comes from having the right priority, which is godliness and the right perspective eternally. First Timothy 6, 6 through 7 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. And verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. I want to conclude with this story about um, a man named Jim Elliott. And if you rec- you may recognize his name when I tell you his story. But Jim Elliott, he grew up carefully listening to visiting missionaries tell their life about what it was like on the mission field. And he dreamed about being a missionary one day. And it saddened him. You know, he listened to them. It would make him sad that there were people out there who didn't know God, never heard about Jesus. It would, it would sadden him. So as a young man, he felt the call to be a missionary. It stayed with him from a child up. So he grew up, and he felt the call to go to the jungles of Ecuador to reach some of those, those small, unreached Indian tribes. They're still real primitive. And that's where he felt the call. And he, along with four other missionaries who went, were in Ecuador. And they were there for six days. They were able to reach out and have some contact with these tribes. But on their sixth day, they were actually martyred by those that they tried to reach. And as sad as that is, that gift still lives today because two years after that happened to him, his wife and his child went back to that same region and continue to reach out to these people who killed their husband and their father. And to this day, they have been able to, to reach them peaceably. And these, these tribes are still being taught about Jesus. But the thing about Jim Elliott that got me is he knew something before he ever went. He knew something as a, as a young man that he took with him before he went. And he wrote something in his journal six years before he died. He was 22 years old, and he was a college student. This is what he wrote in his journal. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So you can't keep the things of this world, and you can't lose the promise of God regarding eternity. And if you order your life in line with that truth, 
That's how you're going to know God's contentment. Amen. And that's what I've got for you. If you guys would stand and just give God thanks for the blessings in your life. Lord, I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.